Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, as well as in partnership with the Compassionate Friends and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. Well, Heidi, we have got a woman who has kind of been through a lot in the past few years and has written a wonderful book about it, Refined by the Fire. I really enjoyed this book. She's a wonderful writer. Why don't you introduce her, and then let's get on with this great topic, From Grief to Grace. Okay, I'd love to. Our guest today is Mary Potter Kenyon. Mary is the author of three books. Her most recent is Refined by Fire, A Journey of Grief and Grace, which details her process of grief and healing after the loss of her mother, husband, and grandson in a three-year period. Refined by Fire recently received the 2014 USA Best Book Award. She is a frequent speaker and columnist of the topics of grief, loss, and healing. Welcome to our show, Mary. Hello. I'm glad to be with you. It's great to have you on. And I was blown away when I opened your book, Refined by the Fire, which I love. Do you have such a great sense of humor in the face of crisis, I must say? In the first of your book, you have a genealogy chart, and I was, wow, she's got eight kids, right? Yes, I do. I have eight children. I'm fantastic, and you still have a chance to write and deal with, I guess, the supportive part of writing, because in your book, you have sections from the journal that you've kept after your husband died. He's only been dead for three years. That's not very long, is it? No, it's three years last Friday, yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you were married for 32 years. Is that right? Yes. Well, we were going to have our 34th anniversary um, a couple months after he died. We would have been married for Wow. Wow. And he did he die of, ca- of cancer, Mary? No, he was a five-year cancer survivor, and going through that with him and as his caregiver, five and a half years after his cancer treatment, he had a heart attack, and so he had stent surgery, and he died shortly after coming home from the hospital during the night. Oh, wow. Wow. So he survived the cancer, but he died of a heart attack. Yes, he did. He survived. Wow. But I always I look at those five and a half years as bonus years because he could have died with the cancer, and then we got this beautiful mm-hmm. marriage out of that experience. And mm-hmm. so I think those are bonus years, those five and a half years after his cancer. So how he died was very similar to our friend Darcy Sims. You just came and found him sitting in a chair and dead. We just lost our good friend Darcy Sims uh a few months ago the same way. So He had survived cancer, survived the surgery, came home from the hospital, and then one morning when I went to wake him up for his coffee, he was gone. Wow. And looking at all this, you've lost, you lost three people in three years, your mother, your husband, and your grandson. Who Was it your husband that died first, or what order were they in? My mother died in 2010, and then mm-hmm. approximately 17 months later, my husband died. And 17 months uh-huh. after that, my grandson died of the cancer, of cancer. Wow. That is so much loss in such a short period of time. Did your, did your writing help you to heal and help you to kind of process all this loss? It, it did. Um, I have always I've been writing ever since shortly after I got married in 1979. So writing has always been a part of my life. And I didn't actually journal until after my husband died. But I did write essays about losing my mother and I had a whole blog that all of a sudden turned into a grief blog because it had been about becoming a writing a writing mother. And after I lost my mom, I, I wrote about going into her empty house and, you know, just what it was to lose a mother. And so it, it kind of became mm-hmm. a grief blog for quite a while. And then after my husband died, 
the morning after he died, I picked up a journal and I just started my, writing my way through it. What is the difference to you in your mind as a writer and under these circumstances between writing on a blog, I assume that was on the internet, and then writing actually in a journal? I sometimes think handwriting does something for us. I don't know. I think it does too. I did write while I sat by my husband during his chemotherapy treatment. That's when I started writing and realized, oh, I'm writing a book about this because so many of the books that were written by caregivers, the person died at the end, and I wasn't willing to mm-hmm. to look at that. And so I started writing during his cancer, and I think um, writing in the journal. I even wondered, how do people get through this without writing down what they're going through? Because I think somehow the writing was like a type of therapy for me, and it was working my way through all these different feelings and then the blog postings became, how can I help somebody else? How can I uh-huh. reflect on this that somebody else can go to this? At one point, my son said, I'm not even going to look at your blog anymore, Mom, because it's just grief and I can't, I can't handle it. And I felt bad. I thought, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be blogging about this stuff. And so I announced on my blog that I'm going to try to. It had been maybe three months since my husband had died. I'm, gonna, I'm going to try to, you know, look at some more cheerful topics. And I had widows emailing me saying, please don't stop blogging about this. We forward your blog post to our kids. They can see what we're going through so they can understand. And I thought, oh, okay, there is a need for other people to see how somebody gets through this so that they might find some answers in their own journey through grief. Now, is there a pressure when you're blogging like this at this time to answer people who say things and you know, do you always feel like answering? And, you know, how does that go? I think the pressure was more, do I tell the truth? Mm. Because mm-hmm. the first, right after my husband died, it was like, how do I do this? What am I going to feel like a mm. year from now? Or how am I going to get through the next few weeks? And when it's four months out from the from the grief, do I tell people? Do I admit on, you know, on a blog where everybody can see it? Do I admit that I still broke down in a grocery store four months out because I don't want somebody to be scared to think, oh my gosh, that there was more pressure in that than answering questions. I loved when people emailed me or asked, you know, when did you take off your rain or how did you decide this or because those are the questions we all have, you know, as we're facing mm-hmm. This is new to us. How do we do this? How, what's the right way to do this? And there is no right way. And that was the whole point of blogging about it. I know some of them, you say that you didn't find them very helpful. They weren't, you know, quite as helpful as you wanted, some of the writings. There were a few books I did not find that helpful, but there was others. Oh, (laughs) there was some of the writing that just pulled me down deeper because there was no hope in Mm -hmm. it. There has to be hope. And so I thought, what, what was your point of sharing this dark, deep despair without adding a little bit of hope? without adding that little right. bit of light. And so there was uh, certain authors that were very helpful to me because I could see, oh, they survived this. They not only survived this, but they thrived and they, you know, mm-hmm. they got out on the other side, whatever the other side is, because is it a year later that you're on the other side of grief? No, because three years later, I'm still dealing with crying in the grocery well, store well, once in a while. It, it takes the strangest things and you see that and it's all of a sudden you're right right there again. Well, Mary, I'm wondering with that in mind, when your, your grandson died, how many months or how many years later after your husband? 17 months, you said? It was, a pro- I think, 17, 18 months after David died in March. Okay, so so how old was your grandson when he died? My grandson was eight. 
he had just celebrated his eighth birthday. Wow. So when your eight-year-old grandson died, did it kind of throw you back into an earlier... You're, now you're grieving for your grandson. Did you also feel that, oh my gosh, now I'm also grieving for my husband and my mom, and it got kind of complicated? It, it did. I think so. It was like the fresh waves of grief for the person who had... I, it's like I wasn't done yet with one, and I was mm-hmm. already grieving another. And I don't think there is any done yet, but you get to a mm-hmm. point where your days are are different, and then have a, to lose a grandson who had been fighting cancer for two and a half years. So my husband knew mm-hmm. that my grandson was fighting cancer when my husband died. And, I, and that, then there was the, oh, I'm glad you aren't here to see this. Yeah. To know mm-hmm. and, and also your need to support your daughter too, right? She didn't even have time to grieve her dad because her son was fighting cancer when her dad died. Yeah. And so she was up in right. sometimes 40 days at a time. Yeah. And there was no there was no grieving her father because she was trying to help her son go through all this. So it was a tough time for her whole family. Mm-hmm. And, and how about you not having time to grieve for your husband when you were trying to help your daughter and grieving for your grandson? And there's um, people who would say, well, at least you've got the kids and it's yeah. got to be easier with kids there. And yet... Sometimes I would think, well, I can't cry in the middle of the night. I can't start sobbing because I have these kids to worry about, too. You know, I can't scream in the house all by myself because there was no all by myself. And so there was that added. I can't say which was e- which would be easier. It's just different. But it, I, I don't know if it was easier with children or harder because you have to think of their grief, especially the, the younger ones. How do I help them? Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. A huge amount of pressure. I loved something you said in the book. You have such a a wonderful sense of humor, I'll have to say. You said that there was information that said, don't make any decisions for two years. (laughs) Then you said, it was no question that I would ignore the advice. It was just matter when I would. (laughs) I I knew inside my head that I was going to go buy a different vehicle. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything to my mm-hmm. older son, of course, would have either talked me out of it or helped me. But this was just something my husband had been talking about. I want you safe on the road. We're going to get you this. And he, and he said what it was going to be. And I wasn't listening because I thought he was just talking. And, and so I'd nod my head, but I knew I was making this big decision. I did it all by myself, and it went well. And later I thought, you know, I... I I ignored them. I didn't ask for their help. I may have hurt my older sons. You know, why didn't mom come to us? But it just was something I needed to do. And talk about going and getting the car. I love the fact that you told every you told this kid who was selling you the car all about your husband and all that. I did everything I shouldn't have done. You know, you don't go in there and tell your widow. You go, don't go in there and tell them. You know that you've never spent more than fifteen hundred dollars on a vehicle, which we hadn't. We <laughs> You know nothing about buying a car. (laughs) And I just looked at this stunned expression on this kid's face. It's like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to do with this woman who's sitting there telling me all these deep, dark secrets and (laughs) looking at me as his mother or his sister or something and thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't. And we sat there for all afternoon. I It was probably a good six hours of back and forth, going back and forth on this, dickering this price down and he finally told his boss you know we're dealing with this coupon queen here you know and I don't it's like he didn't have to do it here, but I got me the best deal because my brother said oh my gosh this place does not go that low on a, a vehicle so I, I did good but I did it I went against all saying advice <laughs> by telling that kid that that young man 
that this was a widow who knew nothing about vehicles, who was buying a vehicle. A little did he know that you knew, you knew how to get a good price. That's what you knew how to do. <laughs> Mention how he thought that. You've written a book on coupons, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Tell us that. Then what was the name of that book? It's Coupon Crazy, and it's the history of this huge culture that I've been a part of ever since I got married as a college student, had to save money on groceries. And so this is a huge part of my life was couponing. And back in the day when you'd save all these labels and, and send for free stuff, I used to do all my Christmases that way. My kids would have the free T-shirts, the free Hershey baseballs, the stocking stuffers with all free things from manufacturers. So this is a big part of my life. And my husband has finally said, it's a hot topic right now because there was this television show about extreme couponing you need to write a book about that. And it wasn't a how-to. It's more of a, what was this like, this culture that I belonged to, this part of life that he was such a part of. He didn't know what I was doing when I was saving all these this money with coupons, but he'd wrap his arm around me at the checkout and say, well, isn't she great at the end of the shopping trip? But he had no idea how I was doing all this magic with coupons and walking out with free stuff out of the store. But he was this huge support of that. So that was really hard to write the book. I wrote the book before he died. I didn't get it accepted for publication until after he died. To see that book in a Barnes & Noble window and know mm-hmm. this is something he had believed in, something he had encouraged, and he's not there. Uh, so it was a very mm-hmm. bitter moment, and I think I cried. And he would have been so excited to see that. Yeah. Oh, he would have been thrilled. Yeah. He was so supportive of <laughs> mm-hmm. writing it. Well, Heidi, uh, she tells another story in her book you have a connect with, and that is connected with Chuck E. Cheese because Heidi was the mouse one year, right, Heidi? I was Chuck yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was Chuck Chucky is often a female. Remember that, kids, when you're trying to beat up Chucky. <laughs> my children were so scared of that mouse, but that is what we did for our family fun every week, every year. We would go to the Chuck E. Cheese for somebody's birthday, or for, and it became this family ritual year after year. And my husband and I would get in that little photo booth. Not all of the Chuck E. Cheeses had that, but the photo booth where it would draw your picture. Mm-hmm. And we actually, yeah. I would joke year after year, because it cost a quarter. I would joke, we're going to use this for an important picture in our life. And for our 30th anniversary, I actually ran it in the newspaper. And my husband went to work, and people were saying, oh, that's a beautiful picture. Where'd you get that taken? And he just would smile. And it was our secret joke, that beautiful picture that people were saying was so wonderful. It was a 25-cent Chuck E. Cheese photo. <laughs> it's now also in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, I love it. But, That's a great memory. But talk about the tombstone. Well, the tombstone, well, that was something I didn't know. It took so long to get one, for one thing. And the first two times I went into this office to get one, I started crying. And she said, you're just not ready. Go take pictures of ones you like there. And so I did that. And that was pretty much... Ooh, that's sensitive. She was sensitive. I like that. My kids said, don't put a Chuck E. Cheese picture <laughs> on the middle of your tombstone. That's so tacky. And... And at some point, I told a woman this, and she said, well, this is for you, not for them. And I could imagine my 35-year-old son crawling in the cemetery after I'm gone, chipping away and getting that Chuck E. Cheese picture off. But it looks great. It looks great in the middle of it. But it was this huge decision that weighed on me heavily every time I went past the cemetery and saw nothing, no tombstone there. And I would just, you know, it, it looked like nobody cared. So it was this big big vision to make and it, it's beautiful and I used it on my first Christmas card after his death. Oh I love it. I, thought, I usually always send out a Christmas letter and I thought well what mm-hmm. what picture what what shows what our whole year was and that's the only thing I could think of is it was the mm-hmm. I didn't do a letter I sent this <laughs> crazy card 
with a picture of a tombstone on and said, live like you're dying, love like it's your last day, or and laugh, because this is the prob- probably the only Christmas card you're going to get with a tombstone on it. And so my brother said, I was kind of worried about you when I got that card. If you do that again next year, I'm really going to be worried about you. He says, but I kind of got it. I know what you were doing. It was just my way of, you know, that was our year. You uh, love that. Well, Mary, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I love your book, Refined by the Fire, A Journey of Grief and Grace. I love it because it's human. It's you. It's just right straight up. And God bless you and those kids, and I hope things go well with them. And I wanted you to tell people how to get your book and your website, and then I wanted you to read a little piece from your book. Okay, thank you. Refined by Fire can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of your local bookstore, or the Familius website, the Familius publishing website. And my website is www.marypotterkenyon.com. And this little piece that I'm going to read is in my book, and it's just a short thing that kind of tells you what my journey was like. In the midst of the darkness of loss, I found light, admittedly, in those first few weeks. It might have been but a single, small spark I sensed deep inside of me, but that spark guided me in the twisted, dark journey of grief. As I stumbled over the roots of hopelessness and despair, that light grew to illuminate my path, a path I sometimes felt very alone on. At some point in the journey, I turned around, and there was God. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being on the show today, and and thank you for all the things that you're doing for the world, and God bless you and your sweet family. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. The time went really fast. Thanks, Mary. You are really an example of how you can find hope after multiple loss. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to our show today, and we hope that you'll let your friends and family know about it. And Heidi and I also want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. God bless. 